Have I got this on right? Good. Feels weird. Good morning, everyone. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Hannah. Um, and you might have noticed my parents did leave the church very sadly last week, but I have not left the church. I am staying, and I'm really, really delighted to be staying with you all. Um, this morning, I, I want to look at Paul's prayer for abounding love, which is in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. We have recently looked at some of Paul's prayers. Um, You might remember in Ephesians when going through the Transformed Life series, as well as one in Romans a bit later on. So I thought I'd play on that theme a bit and go for one of Paul's prayers today and talk about his prayer for the church in Philippi. I'll give you a bit of context before we dive in. Not much, but the main things to note are that Paul was writing to the church in Philippi around the early 60s AD. So his ministry was after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And Paul was writing to the Philippians from prison in Rome. Now these Philippians were really good friends of Paul's, and when reading his letter to them, you can tell that he shares a real depth of friendship with them. Um, And that's a reason I particularly love this book of the Bible. Another thing just worth mentioning is that this prayer falls in the opening greeting section of Paul's letter. So it's quite a general prayer. It doesn't fit into a specific context or situation or topic of the book Philippians. Anyway, so please do turn to Philippians 1, 9 to 11 if you have your Bible with you. If not, it should be up on the screen behind me. So I'm just going to read that now. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I intend to put two challenges to us all today, two things that struck me the most when I read this prayer. Number one, do we pray enough for our spiritual growth? This looks at the overall emphasis of Paul's prayer here and elsewhere. And number two, are we abounding in love? And I'll draw out this second challenge by going through Paul's prayer for the Philippians bit by bit. Okay, so the first challenge is this, do we pray enough for spiritual growth? Something which struck me when I read this passage as a whole was that Paul's prayer focuses on the spiritual rather than the physical matters. He is praying for the spiritual well-being and growth of the church, which I think is particularly notable because the same is true of a lot of Paul's prayers. We looked recently, as I've said, at some of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, and I've put them on the screen behind me. I'm not going to read them out, but I have underlined where Paul prays for the spiritual well-being and growth of the church. As you can see, it's all of it. <laughs> and again, the same is true of Paul's prayer in Romans 15:13, which we also looked at recently on a Sunday. Paul prays for the spiritual well-being and growth of the church. He doesn't pray that they would not face any harm or illness, or that they would avoid the same fate as him, which is striking considering Paul was in prison contemplating facing death when he wrote this letter. I think this attitude is quite countercultural to today. 
the message from society is often avoid suffering. But that is not Paul's prayer. He prays for their characters and their souls and for their relationships with God. Now, don't get me wrong, he may have very well also prayed for their more physical needs and wishes, but just not written it down. And indeed, Paul does show concern over illness and other material needs later in this very letter. However, I think there is something really significant in what he chose to write down in prayer for them at the beginning of his letter. So I ask myself and I ask you guys, what do we pray for? And do we give enough time over to praying for spiritual needs? I really feel there is something in this and it's something I feel challenged on myself. As I was preparing this preach, I kept being reminded of the verse from 1 Samuel 16, 7, where the Lord says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I felt God was reminding me, and maybe he's reminding you too today, that we should keep our eyes fixed, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is, seen, what is unseen is eternal, as Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians. As you might have picked up already, Paul really got this. And it's easy to see that he was totally orientated towards that which is unseen. He had a heavenly perspective. He was totally fixated on the present and future spiritual realities. The biggest example of this is that Paul was writing to the Philippians from prison, which I think you might agree means he was physically not in the best place. It would have been very easy for him to focus on how his situation looked from the outside. But Paul focused on the things unseen, rejoicing even in Philippians 1.12 that his imprisonment had served the advancement of the gospel. Another small example of Paul's attitude towards all things spiritual is that he starts off this letter as he does all his letters, with his classic greeting phrase, grace and peace to you. He could have easily wished the Philippians health and happiness. I wonder if, like me, you often start off texts or emails or letters to friends and family with the, a phrase like, I hope you are well, or I hope you're doing well. I'm not saying that's a wholly bad thing at all, but maybe it does highlight what our priority concern is for each other. But Paul knows there is something even more important than health and happiness. And that is that the Philippians received the grace of God and experienced peace with him. And that was his priority concern for them. That's how he starts off his letter. It's worth being aware, I think, that in our modern Western society, over the recent years and decades, there has been a growing appreciation for the fact that we are holistic beings. We have a mental, physical, and emotional well-being, and those things are all interconnected, and they have an effect on each other. Our mental and emotional health can have an effect on our physical health, and vice versa. And I think this development in our culture is a really good one. However, our society is not quite there with acknowledging spiritual well-being and the impact 
that can have on our holistic beings. And this is something to maybe be wary of as, we, as a reason why we don't always immediately see and pray for the spiritual root of things. You see, Paul does not pray that the Philippians would get better at serving the poor or at meeting others' needs or at sharing the gospel and see people saved. All those things would be the outworkings of an abounding love which is rooted in relationship with God. And it's that that he chooses to pray for them. So how can we learn from Paul's prayer for the spiritual well-being and growth of the church? Do we give enough time over to praying for spiritual growth and maturity? If, like me, you think probably not, um, and you're not sure how to get better at it, I recommend using some of Paul's prayers as guidelines for what to pray for, um, as many have recommended before me. What I do is I write them out and I stick them somewhere visible, like a notice board or the back of my door or on my bedside table, and I pray through them whenever I see them, elaborating or adding my own, my own points here and there as inspiration comes. And inspiration does come, by the way, because it's the living word of God. We can expect it to stir things in us. So that was my first challenge for us today. Do we pray for our spiritual growth? Now, I want to look more specifically at Paul's prayer in Philippians 1, 9 to 11, which drew out my second challenge whilst I was reading it. And that is, do we have abounding love? I've broken these verses into four, four sections, which I will go through in turn. So section one says this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. This is Paul's main prayer point for the Philippians. The Greek word for love used in this verse is agape, which, as I'm sure you've heard before, refers specifically to the unconditional, sacrificial kind of love that God has for us, as opposed to a romantic love or the emotion of just really liking something or someone. And the best example of this agape love is Jesus going to the cross for our sins. If you're a Christian today, that example of agape love will have, that's a fact, affected your life in profound ways, which is why there is an expectation that this kind of love should be the hallmark of our Christian lives. Now, interestingly, Paul was not specific about the object of this abounding love. He was most likely intending for everyone and anyone to be the object of it, including God and our church family. But when I read this passage in the context of the whole letter to the Philippians, I was actually very surprised to see more love claiming such a prominent place in Paul's prayer for the church, because the Philippians, to me, seemed like quite a loving bunch already. Just from what is mentioned in Paul's letter, I noted that the church in Philippi prayed for and showed concern for the sick. For example, it says they were distressed to hear that Epaphroditus was ill. They also sent aid multiple times to Paul when he was on his travels. They partnered with him, it says, in mission. Paul says that when he set out from Macedonia, 
the Philippians were the only church that shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving. He also says that the Philippians shared in his troubles. They did life together. As well as that, they showed him hospitality. For example, Lydia, who upon being saved, welcomes him into her home. And finally, they tended to Paul's wounds, meeting his needs and showing him care. Knowing all of this and being on the receiving end of all of this love, Paul still prays that their love may abound more and more. What does that say to us about how much room for growth in love we still have? I'd say we're also quite a loving bunch. In a lot of ways, quite similar, in fact, to the church in Philippi. See, at King's Church, we pray for and show concern for the sick. We send aid to our brothers and sisters in places like Zimbabwe. And as well as that, we give to various church plants and support them through our new grand family. We also partner in mission with our new grand family and our apostolic leaders and other churches in our local community. We have life groups where we do life together, where we share in the troubles and the joys. As well as that, we show hospitality towards one another and bless one another with gifts and acts of service. And we seek to meet needs amongst us and in our local community, for example, through things like the night shelter or the food bank, or the debt center. Yet I believe that if Paul was our apostolic leader, he would still pray for our love to abound more and more. I mean, if we're modeling our love on God's love, then there's always going to be room for improvement. The second section of Paul's prayer says this. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So how do we grow in love? Through knowledge and depth of insight. I think Paul is saying here that your love will abound as you grow in your understanding of the agape love of God. Because God defines love. Whatever God is, that's what love is. Whatever God does, that is what is loving. The Greek word meaning knowledge in this verse is the equivalent of a Hebrew word, which means a deep first-hand knowledge gained from intimate relationship. It's not just a head knowledge. Paul was saying that your love will, will abound as you get to know God who is love. By spending regular time with God and in the word and getting to know his character, by walking with him in all circumstances of life and experiencing his love firsthand in relationship, that is how we will learn to love like him. There's a modern adage that says that we are the sum of the five people that we're closest to. Maybe you can mentally work out who those people are and notice um, the effect that they've had on you and your behavior. Some of you might know Jordan Barlow, who is one of my best friends, and we've been best friends for nine years now, going for, um, spending time together in all sorts of circum circumstances, at school, at church, in our spare time, 
And we have, over the years, morphed into quite similar people <laughs> to the point where some people find it rather freaky to interact with both of us at the same time. Um, and it's, that's a great example of how spending time with people means that we pick up on their behaviors and their habits and their thought patterns. And hence, by spending time with God, we will start to adopt consciously and unconsciously some of his character traits, some of his behaviors and his views, becoming more like him. But also, on the question of how do, how do we grow in love, as Paul demonstrated, we grow in love through prayer. It is that simple. Pray for more love for God and for people. Asking God to give you more love for someone or for a situation really does work. Section three of Paul's prayer says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Note the phrase, so that, at the beginning of this verse, suggesting that here Paul is telling us why it is so important to grow in love. He's explaining the effects of abounding love. I think Paul is talking about the process of sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more like God. And from what, is, from what Paul is saying, it seems that abounding love actually aids that process of sanctification. Paul says, may your love abound so that you can better discern what is best and what God's best is for you, what is pleasing to God. You will be able to better make decisions that reflect God and choose righteous living, the better way of life, the way of Christ, through abounding love. Abounding love will help your discernment, another word for which is your judgment or the process of testing and approving what is right and wrong, what is holy and what is not. And it's almost like a deep knowledge and insight of love, of God's love, will act as a yardstick or a gauge in our decision-making and our everyday life. Paul also says, May your love abound so that you are pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The word pure um, has connotations of like sincere or genuine or uncontaminated. And blameless means not being found in sin or to be the cause of sin. Now, in order to be pure and blameless, in one very real sense, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. We are only able to stand under God's scrutiny and be found pure and blameless on the day of judgment because he has redeemed us and made us new. But also, what I think Paul is getting at is this sense that we must put on our new nature and follow Christ, hating sin, walking in love. For those of us who are Christians, our identity has already changed from sinner to saint. But we all know that that doesn't mean we never sin again. But when we put our trust in Jesus and our identity changes, the natural byproduct is that our behavior follows suit as we get to know the God who is love more and more. 
In this sense, our identity is our destiny. The phrase day of Christ in this verse refers to the end times, Jesus' second coming. Paul, as always, is looking ahead to the day when sanctification will be complete and when we will be made like God. The fourth and final section of Paul's prayer says this. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And here he's describing another outworking of abounding love. Fruit is often used in the Bible as a symbol of the outward evidence of God's inner work in us. The fruit are things which grow and show on the outside as a result of the roots that we have put down in our private lives. Like a plant or a fruit tree, the growth will happen naturally over time as we keep absorbing the nutrients that we need, which for us is time in the word of God and the spirit of God. And as we grow in abounding love, it will become evident from our behavior and our conduct and our attitude that we know love. We know who love is, and we have had first-hand personal experience of that agape love of God. We wouldn't be able to demonstrate it if we hadn't. Paul also reminds us in this verse of two very important things. Our salvation and sanctification are worked out through Christ. We can't do this alone, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Also, our sanctification and everything we do should be for God's glory. If we try to produce a fruit of righteousness by ourselves, first of all, it wouldn't be possible. But second of all, it would be for our glory, not God's. So just to sum up, firstly, what can, how can we get into the habit and mindset of praying more for spiritual well-being and growth? As I've already mentioned, I would recommend praying through some of Paul's prayers, using them as guidelines and inspiration for what to pray for. And pray these for yourself and for us as a church. And secondly, how can we grow in love? Spend time in relationship with God. Get to know him through his word and through his spirit. Get to know him who is love more and more and you will grow in abounding love and as well as that pray for more love just to say I have talked a lot about the love that God has for us and how Christians have had first-hand personal experience of this love through relationship so if you are here today and you've not personally experienced this, but you would like to, and I encourage you to come and talk with me or Kevin or Quince this morning. To finish up, I thought it'd be a good idea if we get into pairs or groups of three and pray through Paul's prayer for abounding love for one another. Use this as a guideline and inspiration will come I think that would be a good idea to do now. Thank you.